Good morning. When I hear that song, I'm reminded that that should be a part of our daily prayer. Lord Jesus, come. But I have a, I have a little issue with praying that. Y'all bear with me for a second because this is going into our prayer emphasis for this week. I have a little bit of an issue praying with that because you see, I have family who doesn't know Jesus. I have a little prayer, a problem with praying that because I have friends who don't know Jesus. I have a problem praying that because I have acquaintances that don't know Jesus. And I know that when Jesus comes back, time's up. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been challenging staff, been challenging even my small group to think about this one thing. And I'm gonna run y'all through the same thing. First, how many of you would be willing to be honest and say that you know for a fact that you have family members that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? I want y'all to turn around and look. Look, you're not by yourself. How many of you would say that you have friends that you know for a fact that do not know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Man, number's getting bigger. How many of you would even say that you have acquaintances that you can honestly say this morning without a doubt that do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Now I'm gonna ask you the gut punch question that I have to ask myself repeatedly. Do I care? Do I care? Because if I really care about these family, these friends, and even these acquaintances who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, it really ought to spur me to do something about it, shouldn't it? It ought to spur all of us to do something about it. And for some reason, over the years, we've grown lax in this. This morning, our prayer emphasis for this week is we are praying for the lost. As I lead us in prayer in a few minutes, I don't want you to listen to what I'm praying. I want you to be praying for your family. I want you to be praying for your friends. And I want you to be praying for those acquaintances that you know as well. But I want you to pray something bold because all too often we'll pray a prayer that goes something like, God, please put somebody in their path that will help lead them to God. Today, I want us to pray something extremely bold. I want us to pray that God would put us in their path. I want you to pray for the boldness that you need to declare the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to these people that you know. Because one of the most important parts of evangelism is a relationship. A lot of people will say, well, they need to know that you care about them before they know anything else. And I agree with that to some aspect. But if these are your family members, who knows them better than you? If these are your friends, who knows them better than you? Even some of your acquaintances, while you may not know everything about them, you still have an open door. 
So this morning, I want you to be praying for that. But I also want you to be praying for our effort that we're going to be doing on Tuesday as we go over to the uh, Suchus for the 4th of July. And anybody who wants to go with us, you are welcome to go with us. We will be leaving here at 4 p.m. We will go over there. We're going to serve snow cones. We're going to run a bouncy house. We're probably going to sweat a little because it's going to be hot. It's Suchus, so it's about five degrees cooler. That may turn some of y'all towards that way. It's about five degrees cooler. But Aaron is very true in what he said. This is a community that really needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for what Tim and Lisa have been doing over there by opening up the camp to the, to the community to get the people over to the camp so they can hear the gospel. But at the same time, we need to be going as well. And again, I know some of you already have plans. That's completely fine. But I'm going to ask you to do something bold. As you celebrate the freedom of your country this week, celebrate the freedom of your salvation this week and boldly share the gospel with the people that you're around. And I know some people say, well, I don't know that I'll say the right thing. I don't know that I may do the right thing or turn them away. You know what? It's not you who saves the individuals. It's God who saves the individuals. And he will give you what needs to be said at the appropriate time. So as we pray, I'm going to invite you, if you want to, come to the altar. If you want to just stay where you are, that is perfectly fine as well. But this morning, pray for your family who don't know Christ. Pray for your friends who don't know Christ. Pray for your acquaintances who don't know Christ. And pray that God will bolden you to be put in front of them so that you can share the gospel. Father, the song just said, we pray, Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, come. Because we know, Lord, what awaits us on the other side of eternity. We know the beauty of what we will behold when we see you face to face. But at the same time, Lord, my heart does cringe. Because I know there are many who do not know you. I know many in my family, Lord, who are lost, who are headed for an eternity completely separated from you. I know many friends, Lord, who are headed down this same path. I have many acquaintances, God. And Father, like I've just challenged the church, I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be bold. Father, don't put somebody else in their path. Send me. And Father, even the thought of that, and I I know even the thought of that in some of our congregation's thoughts and minds right now is how scary that's going to be. It's even scary to me, God. Because too many times I think about what words I need to say. I think about what I need to do. But Father, this morning, 
We're just praying that you help us be obedient. And that you would do what you can do alone in drawing them to a saving knowledge of you as Lord and Master. Jesus, I am so often reminded by reading in the scripture that you loved me so much that you came after me. And I pray that you would give me that same love for my family, for my friends and for my acquaintances, that I would go after them. Father, I pray that you would embolden us all, even to talk with strangers that we see on the street. Father, as I shared with our staff the other day, when I look at my schedule, I see all these things that I plan to do. Things for working around the house, things for leisure and things for relaxation. But the one thing I don't see enough in my life is a plan for making you known. And yes, Lord, I know I do it from the pulpit, but I pray that you would help me to see my life as a pulpit. I pray, Lord, that you would help me to be bold enough to not worry about what others are going to think about me. To not worry about the words that I will say, but that I would care enough for these individuals just as you cared for them. And that I would share the truth and grace that you have shared with us. Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Now help us, God, to be obedient to the call that you've given us to go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that you have commanded us, and help us to remember, Lord, that you are always with us, even to the end of this age. Father, give us courage. Give us strength. Give us passion. This morning, Lord, as we dig into this scripture, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what it is that your word has for us this morning. I ask that everything that we do here this morning, Lord, is pleasing to you, from our prayer to our praise to the proclamation of your word. And I just ask, Lord, right now, that you would do a work in your people this morning. Lord, do a work in me. We love you, Lord. We love you because you loved us first. And it's in Jesus' precious name that I do humbly pray. Amen. So go from a serious note to kind of a funny note. So this week, or last weekend, I hated not being with y'all, but uh, I really enjoyed my time being away with the boys and Jennifer. Um, we got to do a lot of crazy things. One of the best things we got to do was we got to do go-karts. Man, I love go-karts. Yep, did you hear that? Dad always won. Unashamedly, I put a couple people in the wall. Unashamedly, um, my wife and one of my sons was one of them. Um, 
When you're as big as I am and you go off some of these go-kart tracks, they'll spiral around to the top and then you got to go off this big hill. Well, when you're as big as I am, you gain about 10 miles an hour going down that hill. And Jennifer was in front of me and there was nowhere for her to go. She was right there in front of me. So I just had to give her a nice little nudge. And I know everybody says, well, you're not supposed to be bumping in go-karts. Listen, if they did not want you to bump in go-karts, they wouldn't put those big bumpers all the way around them. That is sending a bad, bad communication. But we were on this other track and it was a really fast, slick track. And I absolutely loved it because I got one of the go-karts that was a little bit more souped up than everybody else's. So I'm on my second lap of passing everybody. And up ahead, I didn't know it, but this track had caution lights on it. I felt like I was in NASCAR. It was awesome. The caution lights started coming on. So I knew there was a wreck ahead. I looked over and sure enough, there's a wreck over here. And I had just punted this little kid out of the way. (laughs) And I come around the corner and I slow up. And you know what that little... Mm, that little punk had the nerve to do. He punted me out of the way. (laughs) Watch it. But I thought to myself while this happened, how dare him do this? I had the faster go-kart. It didn't last long. But when we do things like this, do we realize the true person of who we are? Because in our life as a Christian, as a believer, every single one of us want to receive grace. Am I wrong? Every single one of us want grace. We want God's favor for absolutely nothing. But how often do we want to give grace? How often are we willing to give grace to the individuals that are not so gracious to the little 10-year-old boy who punted me during a caution lap. You just don't do that. (laughs) In John chapter one, we see a true reality of who Christ is. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about knowing God. So if you will, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter one. But we've been talking about knowing God. And knowing God is an extremely important part of our lives. And knowing the real God is even more important because the way we view God, the way we view the Trinity, the way we view the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the way we view salvation, the way we view sin, the way we view everything that plays into our walk as a believer determines the outcome of what we do. And in John chapter one, John gives a introduction into Jesus. And a lot of people say, well, Jesus doesn't need no introduction. But there are some truths that we find in this word about who Jesus is that really open our eyes up to who he is. Remember this. I want you to remember this. None of us, not a single one of us, before we got saved, We're looking for Jesus. None of us were. None of us were seeking after him. None of us were really trying to figure out who he really was. He come after us. 
And matter of fact, he did it in such a way that he made a way for us to know him. Real quick, I'm going to read John chapter five, uh, chapter one, verses one through five, and I just want to hit some highlights. But where we're really going to dig into the scripture is um, on down in verse fourteen. But in John chapter one, listen to what the uh, the uh, disciple says about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A lot of people think that Jesus just came on the scene somewhere between 3 BC and 3 AD. That is not the truth. That is when Jesus was incarnated into the flesh. But Jesus had been around from the very beginning. It says right there that in the beginning he was with God, but it also says something else that's very important for us to understand. He was also God. See, we don't think about Jesus in that way, do we? We don't think about him as part of the triune God that we've been talking about. Yeah, we think about the Father as God, but very rarely do we think about the Holy Spirit as God, and even more rarely do we think about Jesus as God. And like I told y'all the other day, that's why I wrestle with this whole thing so much. And not wrestle in a bad way, wrestle in a good way. That God so loved me that he sent himself in the flesh to die the punishment that he was going to deal on me. To die and take the punishment for me. That baffles me. That absolutely baffles me. But it also goes on to say in verse 2, it says, he was in the beginning with God. All things came, to be, came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. Now, understand what he's saying right here. This is huge. Jesus is part of your creation. He was part of the creation of the world. He wasn't just some person off in a distance waiting to come to the earth at the appropriate time. He was personally involved. And you know, a lot of people think about it this way. Everything was what into existence? Spoken. And what does it say Jesus was? He was the word. The word is what brought everything into existence. But when it comes to man in Genesis chapter 2, and I love, I love how Moses gives us this instruction on how he took time to create man. When he took time to create man and woman, you know what he did? He got his hands involved. It says that he took dust from the earth and he formed them. And that he personally breathed life into their lungs and brought them into existence. Everything else, he spoke into existence. But when it comes to you and me, he got his hands dirty. When it comes to our salvation, he got his hands dirty again. He goes on to say there in verse four, in him was life. And life was the lot to men. While sin brings death to the earth, the word, Jesus, brings life. 
Now, remember I said that all things were created by him? Well, a lot of people will take this and say, well, that means that God created sin. No, God created all things. Do we have any English teachers? Brittany, you're not an English teacher. How dare you? What's a noun? Person, place, or thing. What is sin? It's an action. God created all things. He did not create sin. Sin is an action, a deliberate act of disobedience to God. All Jesus did when he came to bring life and bring it through light was he exposed our disobedience to God. He or exposed our disobedience to us. We then understood we had been disobedient and we needed redemption. He goes on to say that he is the light of men. He was what brought us truth and an understanding of it. Because honestly, before salvation, we did not comprehend the fact that we needed God, did we? None of us did. Sure, some of us grew up in vacation Bible school. Some of us grew up in Sunday school. We had an understanding of it, but did we really understand how much we needed God for redemption of our sin? Absolutely not. We had learned about all the stories, the cute little stories about the ark with all the animals sticking their heads out of it. That's not a true picture of the ark. We'd learned time and time again about Jonah being swallowed by big fish. But did we understand how all of these stories were giving light to the redemption that Christ was going to give us? Absolutely not. John goes on to talk a little bit about John the Baptist. But in verse 14, he picks up again, really focusing on who Jesus was. And I want to read this all together, and then we'll come back and we'll dissect it a little bit. In verse 14, he says this, And the word become flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out, saying, This, is, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For, for of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Now let's dissect this a little bit because there's some great truths that we really need to pull out of here that tell us a little bit more about who Jesus was, but also about who he is and why he came. First thing it says is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, God, wanted us to know him so badly that he was willing to come and personally introduce himself 
to us. You know, we live in an era of audibles. I love audibles. How many of y'all like audibles? I love audibles. I hate reading. I'm not going to lie to you. I really hate reading. I love audibles. And there are so many great autobiographies and biographies out there about people. And you can learn so much about people by reading about them. I've started reading a book here recently. Me and Josh Mashburn are actually reading it together. And the book is by a guy by the name of Josh Widman. And it's called The End of Anxiety, a biblical prescription for ending your anxiety. And Josh gets so deep into his life as a pastor and as a counselor talking about his bouts of anxiety that there's been times when I'm reading this book, I, I can look at it and I say, man, I can identify with him. I know exactly what he's going through. I know how he feels. But even then, with me knowing all about him, all about his past, all about his education, all about his life as a pastor, all about his life as a counselor, can I really say that I know Josh Weedman? No. No, I can't. Because, see, it's one thing to know about an individual. It's another thing to actually know him. We sung a song at the very beginning. I was so happy to see Tommy put that song on there. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I heard a sermon on that song not too long ago. Actually, it's a while back. It's by a pastor who, I'm going to be just going to be honest with you. I don't necessarily agree with everything he stands for or says. But he was talking about this song. And he was talking about, yes, there are truths into this song. That we know that Jesus loves us because the Bible tells us that he loves us. But did we really understand that Jesus loved us just because of what the Bible said? Because I didn't. I had no idea just how much Jesus loved me until he personally told me himself. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day that you fully realized how much Jesus loved you? Do you remember all the guilt and all the shame that you carried for so long that was completely released and you were freed of just by knowing Jesus loves me? Because what the writer is saying here, what John is trying to tell us here, is when it says he came and dwelt among us, he is trying to give us some insight into what is really going to take place in us. Because the Greek word that is used for dwelt here is the same word that is used in the Greek for tabernacle. Do you remember what Paul said? That our bodies are the temple of God and that we are not of ourselves and that he has come to fill his temple with his presence. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. God so wants you to know him 
that he is getting more intimate with you than your spouse ever could. He is really getting into your heart. He is really getting into your mind. He is really getting involved in your life. And he's done it so that we can understand two things that are very hard for us to understand. Grace and truth. It says that Jesus was full of grace. Full of grace. And God wants us to know the abundance of grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Read that scripture with me again, verse 16. Follow along in your own Bibles. You might want to understand some of this. For in his fullness, completion, perfection, we have all. Who's received it? All. Now, we know that not everybody has received it, but he is speaking to believers here. We all have received grace upon grace. See, a lot of us think that the only time we need grace in our whole salvation experience is that first moment. You know what I mean? We think that we only need grace when we first profess him as Lord and Savior. And we think the rest of our life, that grace, that I don't need it no more. But the more I live my life, the more I understand just how much more I need that grace. I need that grace on a daily basis. And you know, just like I said, we can know Jesus by reading about him. But a piece of paper will tell us one thing, but he himself tells us another thing. Let me ask you a question. Does my wife love me only because her name is on a certificate that we have somewhere in our house? I don't even know. But does that certificate say that my wife loves me? No, that certificate says my wife is going to put up with me. And you know what my wife has had to show me on a daily basis? Grace. She did not get a perfect husband. Your spouse did not get a perfect spouse. You continually have to show them grace on a daily basis. Some days are more than others. Jennifer had one of those days where she had to show me a lot of grace yesterday. I'm sorry. But I am in, continually, in continual need of grace. Grace isn't something that we just need at the moment of our salvation. It is a daily need, and we will continue to need grace from this side right here till we enter eternity. Why? Because none of us are perfect. Salvation does not make perfect individuals. It doesn't do it. And we continually need this grace because we will continually fail. But it says we have received this grace. What did we do to deserve it? 
Have any of you done anything to deserve grace? Have any of you worked your way up to a good standing with God? I mean, even if I were to get close, Wednesday or a Saturday would come around and I would knock myself so far back it's not even funny. It would be a constant race of moving forward and being knocked back. Grace is God's gift to us. It is freely given to us so that we can live free. Grace frees us from the two things that hold us back from more than anything in our life, guilt and shame. Grace says you don't have to have it. Grace says you don't have to hang on to it. Grace says you are forgiven. And why are you forgiven? Because he loves us and nothing more. It's not about what you did. It's not about what you prayed. It's not about the altar that you nailed out. It's not about the pastor who preached the word. It's all about God's transformational work inside of your heart. That's what grace does. And it's continually at work. But if we're so willing to receive grace... Why is it we're so reluctant to give it? How many of you have ever been wronged by a family member? How many of you have ever been betrayed by a friend? How many of you have ever been cut off at McDonald's? How many of you have ever knocked somebody completely into the wall on a go-kart track. When these people did these things to you, how quick were you to give grace? And this is where we don't understand it. Because we'll say in our mind these words, they don't deserve it. But guess what, brothers and sisters? We don't either. This is God's good gift to us. And we could do nothing to earn it. He came so that we could truly understand this. And he helped us understand it by showing us grace that none of us could ever earn. Do you give others the grace that you've been given because when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing your faith with somebody, that's the first thing you've got to show these individuals. I was at the ballpark Sunday. Last Sunday, we were at the ballpark. I know we're sinners. But we were, went to a Smokies game. And it was absolutely crowded. Five minutes before the game's about to play, they roll the tarp out on the field because, I mean, it's about to come a horrible storm. So all of us are piled into this stadium underneath the awning. And I'm sitting there, we get our hot dog, we get our drinks, we get our chips, and I'm looking, and I'm looking at this wall of people standing in front of these little tables. 
And some of them are out there drinking their beer. Some of them are out there just talking on the phone, but they're standing in front of these tables and I've got four little or two little kids and a wife that have hot dogs, chips, drinks in their hand and we're trying to find a place just to eat. I got a little bit angry. I nudged my way into a small little section and there was a guy right next to us, had his, had his beer. I was a little bit ticked off, but I ate my hot dog. The boys ate their hot dog. And then out of the blue, I hear, so where are you from? I'm from Blairsville, Georgia. Really, I'm from Greenville, South Carolina. Do you know where that's at? Oh yeah, I know exactly where Greenville's at. Well, what are you doing up here? I just come up here, get away for the weekend with my kids. Well, y'all have a good time? And this guy just kept on talking. I mean, he just kept on talking. He would not stop. There was a big side of me that just wanted to say, dude, I'm eating my hot dog, leave me alone, okay? The game's about to get rained out. We're fixing to drive three hours home with two kids in a car in the rain. It ain't gonna be a good thing. But he continues to talk. And about that moment, when he's continuing in this conversation, Jennifer comes back, she brings us a, what was that? That was an apple funnel cake with caramel. It was very sinful, but it was very good. <laughs> I get this little, tell him about me. God, you want me to tell a man with a beer in his hand about you? Tell him about me. Are you serious, God? Right now? Against everything inside of me. About broke down in tears. And I ask him, Chris, first you need to know I'm not a very judgmental person. I lied. I was being very judgmental of him. I said, but I really have enjoyed the conversation that we've had again a lot. I said, but there's one thing I need to know. Where do you stand with Jesus? Countenance fall over his face that you just can't describe. His dad was Baptist, his mom was Presbyterian, so it was a fight most of his life going to where they were going to church. Unfortunately, just like many, he pulled away from church for many various reasons. But when it come down to it, I got to hear about the day that he come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, and I am so thankful that God stirred in me the same grace that he stirred in me to share that with him. Because you see, another time, years ago, 
Me and Ricky Tanner took the kids down to Panama. Not like this week. Praise God for what happened this week. We had two come to know Christ through this week, and I am so thankful for what God did through that camp. But me and Ricky Tanner, we'd been driving all day long. I hit a deer with a trailer. I don't know how you do that, but I hit a deer with a trailer. Crazy story. And we were just decompressing, standing in front of Laguna Beach Christian Retreat. And me and Ricky are sitting there talking. And this gentleman walks by. And Ricky's talking like he always does. I mean, thank God he's had this surgery, so his talking's come. Tammy's been praising God a little bit. But, but Ricky was talking, but my attention was drawn on this individual. And I know some of you have heard this story, but some of you haven't. And I'm sitting there and I'm just watching this individual walk down the street. All at the same time, I'm having these, tell him about me. Tell him about me. Tell him about me. And about that same time, Ricky Tanner looks to see at what I'm looking at and he sees the guy too. And we stared at him. Lots of things went through my mind. Lots of judgmental things went through my mind. Ricky looked at me and I looked at Ricky. And I told Ricky these words. I said, Ricky, he's lost. And I did nothing. I can still see his face. I can still see his face. I pray time and time again that God gave somebody else the courage to be gracious to him like I was not. But I still see his face. And part of the reason that we have these hangups about what we think about individuals is because how we interpret the next part of what Jesus is. It says Jesus is full of grace, but it also says he's full of what else? Whenever we think of truth, what do we think of? For me, whenever I think of truth, I think about the right way to live. How about you? I think about what I should do and what I shouldn't do. Those are truths to me. I think about things of, that I need to apply to my life that will help me live a more godly life. And we've got to be careful with this because this is not what it's talking about when it says Jesus is full of grace and truth. Because if it was about people living a perfect life, would have Jesus really had to have come? No. But the truth of the matter is, nobody could live a perfect life. Not even the Pharisees. Not even the Sadducees. Not even the scribes. None of the church people of that time could live a perfect life. Because you see, Jesus told us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we 
Don't hold true to what that statement says too because after that statement, he says, the only way anyone can come to the Father is by who? So why is it that we are so quick to put moralism, legalism, and things of that nature on people? When Jesus said that he is the full of grace and truth, he's talking about that he is the true way to God and that there is no other way except by him. Wow. Unfortunately, I have read this scripture wrong so many times. I thought that I had to be grace and truth. Well, there is some aspect to that. But the truth that we need to give to people is simply this. You see somebody going through something, a hard time. You see somebody dealing with the sin. We want to quickly point out the sin, don't we? And we want to quickly say that you need Jesus because of that sin. But what we don't see is the same thing that is inside of us. The reason we are sinning is because we're looking for some satisfaction, some fulfillment, some pleasure. So why is it that we don't tell them the truth that the only way that you're going to find true satisfaction, true pleasure, true fulfillment is through Jesus Christ? Because he has come to give you life and to give it more abundantly. Well, Scotty, we need to teach them how to live right. Can any of you honestly tell me right now that you live 100% to a T right? Can anyone in here? Because if so, cast the first stone. Because I cannot. I can't say I live right. In Romans chapter 5. And if you got your Bibles, turn with me. Because I really want you to see this. In Romans chapter 5, we see some amazing truths about kind of what's being said here about Jesus being full of grace and full of truth. Because a lot of people will use what I said and turn it against me and say, well, that means I can just do whatever I want to. Well, no, that's not the truth. Because in verse 20, it says, the law came in so that transgressions would increase. But where sin increased, grace abound more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what's it saying there? Does it mean that we can continue on in sin? No, let's read on down to verse six, or chapter six, verse one. What shall I say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. You see, if you use grace as a 
get out of jail free card all the time. I've got to ask you a question. Do you really understand grace? Do you really understand the grace that was shown you because of that sin that you're committing put Jesus on the cross? Do you really understand that you should have been the one who was put on that cross and died for that sin you committed? But at the same time, do we really understand the truth of why Jesus come? Go back down to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, and follow along with me. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if we were enemies, it's a strong word, isn't it? If we were enemies, that is a very strong word. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son, Jesus. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. To truly understand why Jesus come, it can really simply be summed up in one simple sentence. And I want everybody to say it with me. He came for me. He came for me. Because we couldn't come to him. He came to show us grace. And grace is a hard thing for us to show. You know who the hardest person to show grace to, to who is? Yourself. He came to show you grace that you can't even show yourself. But he also comes so that you could understand that this grace is a gift and there is nothing you can do to earn it. And that is the truth of the gospel. He died in your place and there was no other way for you to ever get to him. In a longer version, I've given you what you need to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody this week. I pray through this word of his word that you've gained some better understanding that a person's salvation isn't even based on you. It's not about what you say. It's about who you tell them about.
Tell them about a Jesus who is so full of grace that he came after them. And the truth is that they could do nothing in their self to be good enough to make themselves right with God, that he had to do it for them. Will you do it? Better question. Do you care? Father, thank you. Thank you for pursuing me when I could not pursue you. Thank you for hunting me down when I was looking for everything else. Thank you for making a way for me to come to you when there is nothing I could do this side of eternity to make my way to you. Thank you for taking the punishment that I deserve and dying on the cross for me. Thank you for raising from the dead so that I could have victory over death, sin, shame, and guilt. Thank you for allowing me, Lord, to have a small part in your kingdom. Thank you for the word that you've given us so that we can know you more, but thank you even more that you dwell within us so that we can truly know you. Father, this morning, through your Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in all of us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Tommy and the praise team comes up, maybe this morning you just need to spend a little bit more time with God asking for that boldness to share the grace and truth that he has made evident to you. Maybe this morning you need to give yourself a little bit more grace than you've been given. Because none of us, none of us can ever make our way to him. And maybe this morning, some of you realize exactly what he has done for you. And this morning, he has shown you his grace and truth, and he is offering you eternal life through that. Whatever it may be, as they sing, as we stand, You deal with God as he deals with you. Whether it's here at the altar, whether you need to come talk to me, whether you need to go talk to Jerry, Aaron, wherever he's at, whether you need to talk to anybody, you deal with God as he deals with you.